Hey, so it's good to see you this morning. We're starting a brand new series today. I'm so excited. I loved our time in Song of Solomon, frankly, but time to move on. And today we're going to begin a study in the book of Colossians. Colossians. I don't know if you've ever read any of that book. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it is really an incredible book. It has so many wonderful themes and so many things that we can glean from the book. <clears throat> but in six weeks that we have to study it, obviously we cannot exhaust it, right? You cannot exhaust, learn everything there is to learn from Colossians in six weeks. In fact, I've been working at it for 40 years now, and I still haven't learned everything there is to learn in this incredible book. So we're going to come from this angle at this point. For these six weeks, we're going to talk about this particular theme in Colossians, which is this. Can we really change? Can we really change? Now, I ask that because there are a lot of people who aren't sure. Thomas Akempis, a scribe, an an, uh, um, ancient scribe, not anxious, but a a scribe of another generation, uh, teacher, learner, um, said something that I thought was quite frankly um, uh, important. Here's what he said. He said, be not angry that you cannot make others as you wish them to be, since you cannot make yourselves as you wish to be. That's a pretty good word, isn't it? Don't be angry that you can't change somebody else when you can't even change yourself. It is hard to change, frankly, isn't it? Think with me just a moment. It's difficult. Sometimes the things that we want to do, we can't do. And I'm not talking about the color of your hair. I'm not talking about the size of your nose. I, I mean, some serious change, that inward change. Maybe it's a habit that we have, right? Maybe it's some habit that we know we need to stop. Maybe it's some craving that we know we need to crucify, to get rid of. Maybe it's some idea that we don't want to think. Maybe it's a thought. Anybody ever had thoughts and you wonder, where did that come from? Sure would like to change that. Can we really change? Even the Apostle Paul... Maybe, maybe the greatest Christian ever. I don't know how that's all measured, but it maybe in some people's books, the greatest Christian ever. Even Paul said when he wrote to the Romans, the very things that I want to do, those are the things that I can't do. And the very things that I don't want to do, those are the things I wind up doing. Read it for yourself in the book of Romans. Ever feel that way? Like the things I want to do, I can't do. The things that I don't want to do, those are the things I do. Can I ever really change? What about those deepest habits? Those deepest parts of us that we know need to change. How about this? Have you ever thought that about somebody else? Ah, he'll never change. Ah, she'll never change. Anybody ever said that about you? You know, maybe you found Christ at a later stage in life and you had developed some habits and you had developed some things in your life that you wanted to change and you maybe even tried to change but you couldn't change and then Christ came into your life and you were changed and then people began to look at you and say, ah, it'll never last. (laughs) Come on, are you with me? It'll never last. You know, try, good try, but I don't think it's going to ever last. Truth of the matter is, The Christian faith, the very foundation of our faith for 2,000 years is based upon this truth. There is hope for change. There is. And the wonderful thing that we're going to glean from Colossians is that there is hope for lasting change. Not just a trendy change. Okay, uh, it's one thing to have a little trendy change. You know what I mean by that? I mean, we change for a little while. Things change for a while. Like in January, how many went to the gym in January? And you got to the gym in January and everybody's there? 
And you're like, what's going on? Well, everybody, what do we do? We sign up for the gym in January because we want to change, right? And then I go the first in March, and what's happening? Everybody's gone, including me, right? It's a trendy change. But how do we have lasting change? How can you have change in your life that is lasting? And, and some of us know about this change stuff, the importance of it. In fact, I'm pretty sure that in a building this size, in a room this size, this many people, there are some of us here who know we need to change. There are some of us who want to change. There are some of us who know we ought to change. <laughs> but can we really change? And if so, how? All right? Now, what I want to talk to you about this month or this next six weeks, really, coming from Colossians is not, Colossians is not only that we can change, but how that change can come about in our hearts and lives. But let's start with this. Let's start with the fact. Let me first of all show you that there is hope for change. Because some of you have lost hope by now. I know people have lost hope. I know it because they say it to me. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor. Maybe it's because they feel obligated to. Maybe it's because they just feel like they're, they're, they're just got to spill their heart. But here's what I've had people say to me often. And they, it, here it is. Pastor, I, I can never change. I can never change. Or I've heard this said about my spouse, my husband, my wife. He'll never change. She could never change, Pastor. Now, I'm not saying that change is easy. Change is very difficult. And I'm going to propose to you, I think Colossians teaches us that there has to be a, a collaboration. There has to be a moving together of grace and discipline. You see, there's a part that God does by grace. And yet there's a part of discipline that we have to exercise in our lives. Dallas Willard put it this way. He said, grace is opposed to earning, but is in favor of, Esther, uh, of effort. Now, that's a pretty good way to put it. There, it's opposed. Grace is opposed to earning. There are certain things we can't earn. There are certain things that we need to be empowered by Christ to have happen in our lives. But there's also room for effort, and there's a discipline that we bring into our lives. And so I'm going to talk about that for the next six weeks, starting with this. Is there really hope? Well, I think Paul answers the question right away. So we're just going to jump into Colossians and, and let Colossians jump into us. You know, that's what I found. I don't know about you, but and you may be trying to still decide about this book. There are people in our community who are still trying to decide, is this really the Bible? I mean, is this really God's Word? Is it just an ancient manuscript? And, and maybe you're battling with that. Maybe you're trying to figure that out. I don't know where you are on that. But here's, here's what I know after reading in this book for so many years. I've learned this, that when I jump into it, it jumps into me. <laughs> In fact, when I jump into it, it jumps all over me, right? And so I want us to jump into this book and see what the writer says and see what we can learn about change. All right, no better place to begin than verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now I want to stop right there and let's just kind of introduce this book. I think that's important before we go on. You need to know who wrote it. The writer is Paul. 
Now, we usually sign our letters at the end, right? Uh, let me clarify this. I'm calling it the book of Colossians because that's what we call it as a part of our canon of scriptures. But it's actually a letter. A better word really is letter. This is a letter that Paul wrote, okay? Now, when we sign letters, we usually sign it at the end, right? We sign best of luck or best to you or blessings or whatever it is, and then we put our name. But in his day, the, the custom was to sign the letter immediately. Now, frankly, that's a good idea, I think. Because what do you do? You get an email or letter. You, you look to see who wrote it first thing, don't you? Well, unless you got a little more time than I do. I, I, I want to see who wrote it before I decide if I'm going to take the time to read it, right? And so he says, Paul, an apostle. I don't have time to unpack that except to say this is a man with spiritual authority and he's going to write to prove his authority, to claim his authority and say, you guys need to listen because I'm speaking more for me. I'm speaking on behalf of God. Now, I know that's a bold statement. But is it a, a part of our canon of scriptures? We believe that. Paul, an apostle, and it also says who he wrote the letter to. He wrote the letter to the saints. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that eliminates me. I'm not a saint. No, but what you're probably thinking is that eliminates my husband. He's not a saint. No, no, hold on. Actually, it's biblical terminology. And in the terminology, he's really talking about not saints as we think of saints as perfect, Right? But saints in the fact of being sanctified by Christ. And it includes believers. It includes those who are followers of Christ. So today, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, he's writing this letter to you. You need to perk up and listen. And you say, well, Pastor Eddie, I'm, I, I'm not a believer yet. I, I'm not there. I'm just, I just got invited to lunch, and so I'm here. And that's okay, but here's what you can do. You can see how we ought to be acting, okay? Maybe that's a way to put it. Here's how we ought to be acting, but I'll tell you something else. You're going to learn principles that will apply while you are still trying to figure out this whole faith thing. Write down the principles and follow them. I'm telling you, it'll work. To the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters. And then he uses the key word, grace and peace. Grace is going to be one of our key words in this. When you think of grace, what comes to mind? Maybe it's a name, right? We have a young lady in our campus here that, that her name is Grace. Maybe you, think of, maybe you think of that old song, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. You know, even if you're not a Christian, you know that song. It's so well known and well popular. But here's the thing. Writer's going to talk a lot in this book about grace. And I want you to hear me say something that is so critical and so key to the argument that I want to make that you don't need to miss it. Grace. Listen to me carefully. We think of grace. When we who are followers of Christ think of grace, too often what we think of grace is only in the process of salvation. We think that grace is important to our salvation, and it is. For by grace you've been saved through faith, the Bible teaches us. It's very important to our faith, our salvation. But watch this. Grace is also a necessary part of our sanctification. Or that is our process of salvation, of bringing us to be holy. Grace is a part of our daily walk as a believer. So you need to understand this word grace is not just talking about amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. It is also talking about Saving grace that changes a wretch like me. I know that's not in the song. Maybe I ought to write a song. No, no, I don't think so. To the saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father. And so having done that, now we begin to jump into the essence of the book. And right away, he recognizes a change in these people in Colossae. 
And as we read through the text, well, here's what I want you to look for. I want you to look for three distinct steps that lead in a process to lasting change. All right? Beginning with verse number three. Let's read. It says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Now, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all saints. Look at the next verse. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the world, this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Now, let me say this, first of all. And I've already confused those guys because I'm off track. Sorry, man. That's me, not them. Okay. I've changed things around every year. Y'all okay with that? Hope you are. Here's what I want you to see. I want you to see in verse number five, first of all, you have already heard about this hope. The first part of the process, the first step in this process of lasting change is you've got to hear the truth. You've already heard about this hope and the word of truth. Here's the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. What is the gospel? Gospel is simply good news. Simply put, it's good news. Now, here's the good news in particular. The good news in particular is that Jesus Christ lived and died. But three days later, he rose again and ascended into heaven, ever living to make intercession for us. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty good news. That's pretty good news because I know that the gospel tells me that Jesus Christ died, not because he was a wicked person, not because he had sin. In fact, he had no sin in his life. There was no accurate accusation against him, but he died an innocent, watch this, an innocent sacrifice for a guilty man, guilty men and women. That's good news. Did you know that Jesus Christ died for you? Did you know he took your sins upon himself at the cross? Did you know that when he, watch this, did you know that when he made a sacrifice to sin, it included yours? That's good news. You say, I wish I could believe that. Well, watch this. We also know, and these people, by the way, lived within a generation of this happening. This book's probably written around A.D. 60, 61. They knew that not only did he die, but he knew some of, they knew some of us wouldn't believe it, and so he added this. And by the way, three days later, he rose from the dead. Okay? Anybody know anybody did that lately? I saw a picture of somebody that raised the dead in Africa. Did y'all see that picture? I saw it on my social media because an African pastor friend of mine posted it. Odd thing is he had a cell phone in his pocket. What is a dead man doing with a cell phone in his pocket? You know, I don't know. But anyway, you think what you want to. I've not seen a man who could, let's watch this, who could call out, who could predict his death, burial, resurrection, and then pull it off. But Jesus did. And the gospel is he did that for us, for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That is good news. You've got to hear that. Apostle Paul himself said it this way when he wrote to the Romans. He said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then he says, how are they going to hear unless someone tells them? You have to hear the truth. He says, you have already heard about this hope, first thing. But then if I could go back to verse 4 and say it, read it again, he says, but I've heard about your faith. I heard about your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, that takes it a step further. Stay with me. It takes it a step further because he says, not only did you hear, but you believed. 
Now, don't leave that part out. That is critically important. I'm going to show you why at the end when I wrap it all up. Critically important. First, they heard, but then they acted on the truth that they heard, and they believed, right? They believed it. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that they more than just believe facts. It's easy to believe facts. You say, well, uh, they believe that Jesus was real. Of course they believe that. They were only a generation away. They, everybody knew that Jesus was a real person. By the way, today, even today, in today's society, guess what? Even in today's critical world, no one, no one of any credibility, no credible historian would deny the fact of Jesus. They won't. History's proven. There's too, many, there's too much evidence that he's real. There's too much evidence that his life was there. It's just overwhelming. But here's what we do. Instead of trying to deny it, the world tries to dethrone him. In other words, they try to say, okay, we're not going to deny that this man Jesus lived, but he's not really who you guys claim he is. Now, the interesting thing is Paul is going to deal in this letter. One of the chief reasons for writing this letter is to deal with a philosophy of people, a religion of people who were trying to make that same claim, who were saying that Jesus was real. I agree with that, but he's not God. There are, he's just one of the steps to God, and there are many steps to God. There was a religion, there was a philosophy at that time that was promoting this. The philosophy was called, or the religion was called, Gnosticism. Have you heard of that? Gnosticism. I put it up there so you can see how to spell it. The, the Gnostics believed that information and knowledge would bring you eventually to God. And so everything to them was about knowledge, gaining knowledge. The problem is they had information without any transformation in their lives. They were all about knowledge. Now here's, now watch this. Isn't it amazing that this book written 2,000 years ago is so relevant today? Because guess what? Today, in today's society, you know what people say? A couple of things. One people, some people will say, yeah, I believe that Jesus really lived. I believe he was a good man. I believe he was a prophet. But guess what? He's not God, just like the Gnostics. Or they will say, Jesus is a way to God, and if you can gain this knowledge and you can deal with the cosmos, then everything will be all right in the end. We battle the same issues today. Some things never change. And then, by the way, we have people today who honestly are all about knowledge, and they think, you know what, I'm deeper, I'm more spiritual than everybody else because I have greater knowledge. Be careful. You know anybody like that? Anybody just thinks they got so much spiritual knowledge that everybody else is not as smart as them and not as deep as them, not as spiritual as them. Oh, man, I've been called everything you can think of, including a simpleton. <laughs> I am not an academician. I understand that. I never will be. It's just not me, right? But I'm going to tell you this. You be careful because some of the greatest men and women of faith maybe couldn't compare theological knowledge with anyone else. But knowledge, information without transformation equals hypocrisy. Whew, sure got quiet. Even the kids got quiet there. I know. There was no one who knew more, had more knowledge than the Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day. But he said, the problem with you guys is you got all this knowledge, but you're just like a whitewashed tomb. Pretty on the outside, but dead on the inside. 
You see, we believe, I believe, you have to have information and transformation. Knowledge is not a bad thing, but the Gnostics coming from the word, by the way, gnosko in Greek, meaning knowledge, these knowledge, these Gnostics, this Gnosticism was all about knowledge and gaining knowledge. But I'm saying, listen carefully, information, knowledge without transformation is not really going to help you. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much you know the speed limit. If you're going over it, guess what? Your wife's going to kick you in the shin. Or if you like mine. Because some of you are thinking, I'm going to outrun him. I'm going to outfool him. <laughs> Listen, transformation is the key. Change is what it's all about. Not just that we know something, but how does it change us? And so Paul says to these people, first you have to hear the gospel, the truth, and then You believe. That's the second part that is so critical. And by the way, it's so much more as I was saying when I interrupted myself. (laughs) It's so much more than just knowledge of knowing facts. It is resting. It is trusting. It's not just believing that Jesus existed. It's resting in the truth that he proclaimed. I'm confused, Pastor Eddie. I don't understand that. Can I, at the risk of using an age-old illustration that some of you have heard so many times, you're probably sick of it, but it's so simple. I want to use it, if I could, to help you understand the difference in believing facts and resting or trusting in Christ. The better word is trust. Because when we think of believe, I believe the moon is out there. Right? Well, I can see it. But what about something I can't? Watch this. Here's an illustration I want to use. I take this stool right here. I believe it'll hold me up, right? I imagine any of you believe it'll hold you up. Anybody here that doesn't believe that? Pretty much all of us believe it'll hold us up. Why? Because it's built to hold us up. It holds other people up. I believe it'll hold me up. But now watch this. When I sit on it, I put all my weight on it. I trust. I rest on the fact that this thing's going to hold me up. Because if it doesn't, it is not going to be a pretty scene up here. Right? That's the difference. It's one thing to believe Jesus. It's another thing to rest in him. I make a statement occasionally, and not a lot to you guys, but I make it to myself regularly. And that is this. I say to myself, I said to myself this week, I was out walking and praying. It's a good time, to, good combination to walk, exercise and prayer, spiritual and physical. And I'm out walking, I'm praying, I'm saying, God, thank you. I know I am a child of God, saved by the grace of God, inheritant of the kingdom of God. I am your son. You say, you really believe that? How can you make that strong statement? Because I'm resting in what he's done for me. I'm not just believing facts about what I read in the book. I'm trusting him. There's a difference. And so Paul says, okay, first of all, you heard. And then you believed. And then if we skip down to verse number 7, if you guys can catch up there. I don't know. He says, you learned this from Epaphras. Now, who is Epaphras and who would name a child that, right? Epaphras? My granddaughter, oldest granddaughter is Aliana. I told my daughter, I said, she'll be 10 years old before she can spell her name. What would you do that? (laughs) Epaphras. Who would? uh, Anyway, Epaphras. Now, Epaphras is an elder in the church at Colossae. And he has come to Rome, where Paul is, to serve Paul. Now, you know why he's coming to serve Paul? Watch this. This may surprise you. Because Paul's writing this letter from prison. Not expecting what you'd expect a prisoner to be doing. 
But he's writing his letter from his first imprisonment in Rome. And so Epaphras has come to serve him and to minister to him while he's in this imprisoned state. And while he's there, he begins to tell Paul about this problem of the Gnostics and how these Gnostics are spreading this heresy in the church and they're bringing down God's people and they're, they're casting doubt and they're making them confused. And so Paul says, well, I can't go to talk to them. So next best thing, I'll send a letter. By the way, the reason he spent so much time defining who he is is because most people believe he never visited the church at Colossae. But he's writing them this letter. And he says, I'm an apostle. I have authority to write. And I know that you have heard the gospel and that you have believed and that change is beginning to take place in your heart. That fruit is beginning to be born in your lives. And you learned it from Epaphras. So that tells me, Derek, that Epaphras was a discipler. That's the word we would use today. He was discipling. Maybe mentor would be a good word. He's been discipling. He's been mentoring them. He's been helping them to grow. He's teaching them things that will help them to learn and to believe and to change. And he begins to talk about change. Look at the next verse, verse 8, which is really cool. He says, you learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has told you about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We're asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you might walk worthy of the Lord. <laughs> you know what he's saying? That you can change your steps. That you can change your habits. Right? Walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing. What's growing? You can't, watch this, you can't grow without change. Can you? You see, it depends on who your hairdresser is. <laughs> no, when you grow older, your hair changes colors or falls out or whatever it does. When you get older, your, your strength is less. People worry about you more. Have you noticed that? Are those of you who are older like me, have you noticed people worry about, do they worry about you more? I told Toby, what's the odds? I shouldn't get off on this. What's the odds? I go to watch my kid, grandkids play ball yesterday, and one of them is playing t-ball, which I love, my favorite stage. It's just a game then. And then my, my daughter, my granddaughter, my oldest granddaughter, is on the middle school softball team, and they're playing over here on the side. And so I'm running, ba I'm running back and forth. And so I run over there to catch her. I'm just letting, you know, I'm getting a text from my daughter saying, okay, she's coming up to bat. So I run over to that field, and there's a game here, and there's a game here, and I'm in between, and I'm watching the game, and, and everything's cool. And I'm just going to be there long enough to watch her hit, and then I'm going to the other game. And I'm standing there, and everybody says, heads up! And I look up, and bam, a ball knocks me right in the knocking. It is not funny with Wes. That was not funny. But everybody else did the same thing you did. And then they realized, he's an old man. Let's get him a chair. <laughs> and they said, you need to sit down. I said, no, I'm fine. It hit my head, not my leg, you know. You see, okay. Yeah, I'm okay. But you see, when we get old, things change. And so he says, as you're growing, that you would change. Being strengthened, verse 11. By the way, we're talking about that next week. 
how we find strength to change. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have greater endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. Now watch how, watch how it pivots now. It says, he, that is Jesus, has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son. He loves in him. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. <sighs> I got about two minutes. How do I cover that in two minutes? except to say this. He said, there's change that's taking place in your life. And here's what I know. Part of that is because of the growth that has taken place through the discipline you're learning from Epaphras. And part of that is because Christ has enabled it. Did you notice the pivot? How the, how the instruction went from passive, from active to passive? How it was all about what you're doing, how you're growing, how you're being strengthened. And then all of a sudden, it changes into everything about Christ. And about what He, He rescued us from the domain of earth. You didn't rescue yourself. Some of you are thinking, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a Christian because I live, turned it around and I lived a good life. No, no, no. If you're rescued today, He rescued you from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him, we have redemption. Not through me, not through what I do. It's by grace. It's him. But there's a change. Watch this. You think change is possible. You're talking about pastor, you don't understand. I'm talking, I need radical change. Can you get any more radical from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light and his son? There is hope for change. Why? Because Christ enables and Christ strengthens. And if we will combine this grace and this discipline, change begins to take place that is radical and lasting. And it won't be trendy. It'll be real. So here's the takeaway, and I'm going to be true to, pretty true to my time. Change, we're going to see is possible because grace is available. Change it's possible because grace is available. For those of you who are sitting there and thinking, Pastor Eddie, you don't understand, I can never change. Yes, you can. How do I know that? Because grace is available. If it were only up to you, I would probably agree with you and say, you know what, change is probably not going to happen, oh boy. <laughs> you know, you've been doing that way too long and it's way too steep within you. But I know this because grace is available. Change is possible. And for the next five weeks, we're going to talk about how that happens. For now, let me kind of tail it off with this. What does grace have to do with it? Everything. Watch this. Three things. They heard, they believed, they were changed. Changing. You can hear without believing, but the change will not be lasting. And it will, in fact, be hypocritical. But if you can hear and believe, change is possible. You see, hearing is what we have in our head. Believing comes from our heart. And when those two combine, our actions can change. I don't know if you believe it or not, but that's what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. How does all that happen? Help me, Pastor, to know how I can put those together. I believe we can show you. 
in what the apostle has to say. Would you bow with me, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, I'm so grateful for your grace that not only saves me, but changes me. Lord, can I just confess before you and before these people that I know there are so many areas of my life that I can't change. I've tried. I've worked at it. But I just can't change it. But I thank you that by your grace, nothing is impossible. And that by your grace, you can take a stumbling individual like me and turn me into a vessel that honors you and walks worthy of you. God, that's what I want in my heart. I want that for my life. I want that to honor you. I want that for my family. I want that for my ministry. God, would you continue to change me day by day, week by week, and year by year. And I pray, oh God, that in the days to come, the next five weeks, We'll learn together how grace and discipline can combine to change my life. Now, while it's still quiet, just a moment, can I just say, if you're here today and you've wondered, can I really change? The answer is yes. Can my husband, can my wife, can my friend ever really change? Yep. Can my kids ever change? Can my parents ever change? Yep. It's possible because grace is available. And you know, if I could just pivot a minute, can I just say this too? Maybe there's somebody here today and you've been wrestling with the whole Jesus thing and you, you believe what you've heard. But it hasn't really brought change in your life. And I say to you, I think the issue might be, it's one thing to believe with your head. It's another to trust in your heart. Are you willing to trust Him today? The old hymn writer said it this way. He said, trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So, Lord, do your work among us all here today. We pray in Jesus' name.